Well, we're going to turn in our Bibles to the, the 13th chapter of Genesis, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's quite a familiar story. Genesis chapter 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdmen, herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites that then dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plains of Jordan, but it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zohar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abraham, After Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make you a descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built there an altar to the Lord. And as we come to this chapter, it's a lovely chapter, it's a beautiful story, we find Abraham coming back to his starting point. Coming back from the place where he once was, the place where his tent was pitched previously, the place, if you remember, that was between Bethel and I, the place where God had called him to, the place where he had originally built an altar. 
You know, me and Matthew have been to London this weekend, and like we said in sandwiches before the meeting, we had a, a premier in on the line to the O2 where we were going, and it would probably take us, once we got to a certain spot, it would probably take us about 10 minutes to get there on the tube. But like idiots, we jumped on the wrong tube and we traversed the whole of London. We went through every conceivable station you could ever imagine and a journey that took, should have took 10 minutes took us at least three quarters of an hour. It was the oddest night. The trains were the fullest I'd ever seen them. And you can imagine being there amongst all those people for all that time. All because we went the wrong way. You know, that's what I feel Abraham has done uh, in his story so far. He's gone the wrong way. And instead of it being a simple walk with God, because God had called him to a place that he would show him. You know, this place was where he is today uh, in our in our story and yet because of a silly mistake a lack of trust a moment of idiocy he spends all this time getting nowhere just as me and Matthew did we spent all that time going nowhere and that's what he has done wasted so much time and of course very often it's what we do in our walk with the Lord we think we know better, we make a certain decision, we go to a certain place, we say a certain thing, and all of a sudden, all what God has called us to do becomes complicated, perplexing, strange. And we waste so much time trying to get back to where we were. And here is Abraham trying to get back to where he was. You know, it's a strange thing. We are studying a man. And when you study men like Abraham, you know, we've looked at Joseph, we've looked at Elijah, we've looked at Elisha, we've looked at quite a number of the men of the scriptures. You know, and every time you study a man of God, on the one hand, they come over as jumbled up, perplexed, and they've got all these inconsistencies, whoever it is Joseph, when we looked at him in Bible and Biscuits, you know, he started off with such a, a, a perplexing attitude on the other hand, we see working in that person not the inconsistencies of man, but the glorious consistency of God, you know if we studied Abraham to find out what God is like it's quite depressing because he's just like me and you. He's just like me and you. He makes mistakes. He procrastinates. He goes to wrong places, says wrong things. And you would think to yourself, well, surely a man that God is guiding would do better than that. But he doesn't. So if you study a man to find out who God is, it's quite depressing. But if we study God himself, and that's what we're doing really when we look at these men, we look at Elisha and Elijah and we look at Joseph and, uh, and people like him. When we study God, we see what he reveals to us 
through his perfect consistency in the weakest of us. You know, because when we looked last week at Abraham, in that pathetic muddle that he was in, telling uh, Pharaoh that his, his wife was his sister, receiving those gifts that would cause him so much pain and suffering, then you know what, it's amazing how far away from God he'd got. And then when we see him this week, in the work that God has called him to do, do you know that God was with him in the perplexing times, in the sad times, in the mistaken times, just as much as he was with him in the good times. You know, that's the good thing about studying men of God like Abraham. We look at God and we see he's consistent. And he loves us. And he's there to guide us. And he's there to hold out the safety net for us. Because inevitably we will fall. Inevitably we will fail. And who's there to catch us? God. Because he was always expecting us to be like that. So when we do that, when we study these men, and we study the God of these men, we see how privileged we really are to be a part of this God. The same God who was with Abraham in the bad times as well as the good is the same God who is with us in the bad times as well as in the good. Now you notice in our passage this morning, uh, verses 1 to 4, how Abraham is again beginning to cultivate his relationship with God, with his God. You know, when you hear it says, And there Abraham called again upon the name of the Lord. You know, and from this moment on, it seems that as you study the life of Abraham, it seems that everything that he does, everything that he experiences, everything that he goes through, is goes through a filter of this relationship. You can see the relationship having an effect. It has an effect on where he goes. It has an effect on what he chooses to do. It has an effect on what he says. Now God has somehow got into his psyche. God has gone into his, his mind so that everything he experiences, he has this relationship with God in mind. And isn't that a great place for us as Christians to be in? That when we go through life, we go through life in relationship with God. And it makes no difference where we are, whether we are in church, whether we are at home, whether we are uh, in work or whatever, whether we are down in the dumps, or whether we are on the valley, on the, on the mountain top. It's great to know <coughs> that we have someone who is consistent just looking after us. And that's what we find with Abraham. It is every experience he has goes through the filter of this relationship. We could say that from this moment on, Abraham identified with God. From this moment on, as we compare, say for instance, Abraham and Lot, there is a vast difference between the way both of them live their lives from this point on. You know, and Abraham has become consistent because whether he's with, whether he's with the meanest of servants or whether he's with the greatest of kings, Abraham lives a life of faithfulness and devotion to God, the God who called him, the God who is there, the God who supports. 
no going back to Lot no from this moment on Lot goes from bad to worse he goes to pieces you know what you know he finds himself in one scrape after another eventually en- ending up in Sodom as you know and having to be rescued from the, the atom bomb that, uh, that hit Sodom by angels only then to father children by his own children you know we know that uh, Moab and Ammon are the grandchildren of Lot whom he had through his daughters and they became the enemies of God and in fact we've been dealing with Moab in Bible and Biscuits because that's where Ruth came from we can say I've called Moab the, the, the child of incest. That's it, that's Lot. That's his Lot. That's where he went to from this moment. So we can see the, the danger of living outside the will of God and, and preferring yourself to the joy of living inside the will, will of God and allowing Him to make the decisions for us. But Abraham kept faith with God in every situation that he went through. And we know, don't we, that coming up, there are going to be some really trying times. Coming up, there's going to be a number of mistakes that he will make. He hasn't become perfect all of a sudden. But he's beginning to see things through the eyes of God. And he keeps faith with God in every situation. You want know, again there we can see a wonderful parallel of the way that our Lord walked the earth when He was here. You know what? He met up with various types of people. People that loved Him. People that hated Him. There were people that wanted to make Him king. There were people that wanted to stone Him. Of course there were people that wanted to crucify Him. You know And Jesus in any situation that he found himself in wasn't adversely affected by any of them no he wasn't enamored because everybody loved him he didn't go with a crowd that wanted to make him king and he didn't destroy the ones that tried to stone him you see Christ saw everything through the filter of his relationship with God (coughs) and of the will of God in his life because every person that he had that he met up with whether they loved him whether they wanted to make him king whether they wanted to stone him or hate him they were the ones that he had come to seek and to save because they were the lost ones and he had come first and foremost as the scripture says to the house of Israel to his own people unfortunately the Bible tells us that he came to his own and his own received him not but even though they received him not he still went to them. And even though Jerusalem turned its back upon him, he still wept over it. He still died for it. And many people come to know him as Saviour because he was enamored, if that's the right word, by the people that were around. Because everything he saw, he saw through the filter of his love for his father and the mission that he had come on. And that was to seek and to save those that were lost. So, in in this way, Abraham reflects the person and the character of Christ. And of course, gives to us 
the example of how we should live. Because you see, we let me meet up with people. You know, I don't think I have ne- never met up with anybody who wanted to stone me. But I met met up with people who hate me because of who I am or because of what I am. I know that there are people who love me, and I know there are people who try to manipulate me. That's the type of situation we all find ourselves in. And yet if we live every relationship and every experience that we go through, through this filter of our relationship with God and His will for our life. Because even the people who hate us are the people that we are here to reach. Even the people that love us or try to manipulate us, they are the people that we have come to reach. And I thank God for the privilege of being placed in Astrid where the person who lives next door will ne- not even look at me and yet he is the one that I come to reach and it's an amazing thing because God has given us the grace to stand, to walk, to talk, to minister and do all the things that he has called us to do in a place where we are held in respect or we are held in contempt it makes no difference because with, through the filter of our relationship with God and our, His will for our lives, we treat everyone exactly the same. You know, Jesus, it says, He gave Himself to no one because He knew the hearts of, men, of everyone. And He kept faith with His Father because He had come to do His will and nothing and no one would hinder His progress. Now, when we look at Abraham... Wealth came his way. The Bible tells us that he was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. But you see, Abraham acknowledged the source and the sustenance of his God. You know, it is him who coined the phrase that once emblazoned the wall. Can anybody remember what it was? Jehovah Jireh. And if he was to go upstairs, the, pro- the great provider of. He is the one who provides. You know, and that's what that was upstairs and downstairs because, of course, the ceiling wouldn't do that. Uh, he, is, he is our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. Where does that come from? Of course, it comes from Abraham. He is the one who called the place the place where God provided. You know, the place where Isaac uh, or uh, Al-Ram was substituted uh, for Isaac when, with the Ram of God, of course, had um, provided. David tells us in Psalm 62, a favorite psalm of mine, he says, Don't trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, if riches increase, you always think of the lottery when I read that verse. If I won the lottery, if riches increase, if I won the lottery, it would be a complete miracle, of course, uh, because you've got to be in it to win it, as you know. <laughs> if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not set your heart on them. You know, we've just recently had an AGM uh, in this place. Do you miss you missed the AGM, Sylvia? Oh, you missed it. You missed it. And uh, for the first time, the in- smallest end of a smile came on Phil's face uh, as he uh, gave us the uh, the financial report. And um, the good thing is, we're in the black. We are in the black. Emmanuel, after all these years, we're in the black. But do we think we're all right now? That we're in the black. Do we, did we go home 
relaxed, relieved, because we're in the black. Well, you know, you know, well, I know, but that isn't the case. You see, we are all right. We are relieved. We are relaxed, not because we're in the black, but because God is with us. That's the important thing. God is with us. And it is in Him that we trust. That's the thing that makes us comfortable. And you know, I was thinking as I was writing this down, I was thinking uh, to be near the red, which we have been for many years, when we are are our AGM, to be near the red with Him is so much more comfortable than being in the black without Him. I wouldn't want to have money in the bank if God wasn't here. I'd rather be teetering on the edge of bankruptcy knowing that God is in this place. To be relaxed, to be comfortable. Why? Because Abraham acknowledged this source and he never let it change him. He never trusted. Don't trust in riches, says the psalmist. If they come, you know, yes, I'm not going to say I don't want them to come. But if they come, don't set your heart on them. You know, and with, with Abraham, even his wealth was veiled through the filter of his relationship with his God and his will and the will that he was in. And that's the same with us. You know, even in our own family circumstances, in our church circumstance, it's God who's the most important person to have. He's the best bottom line to have. Because he is the one who gives us everything anyway. You know, and all these things have been given to Abraham and he's acknowledged that. He hasn't set his heart upon it. You know, and then of course when we look further on, we can see that um, there is a life of worship being resumed. You know, and uh, the, the altar is being rebuilt. The place where he calls upon the Lord. The altar is being rebuilt. You know, and the Christian's worship should always reflect his relationship and trust in the Lord. Abraham returned to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And what does worship mean? What is worship all about? But an identifying with God. Now whose praise are we singing this morning? To whom are we giving thanks this morning. Who gets the glory and the honor and the praise? Well, it's the Lord. You know, it's been brilliant in you this morning. I've sat under there and I've loved every second of being in the presence of the Lord. You know, I think Johnny, you've played the drums amazingly this morning. The touch that he's got on it. David, the challenge of the 12 stringer. You know, there's a six-string over there, but no. He's got to take the 12-string up and strum it like an old guitar hero. Bill has hit every note this morning. And I sat there and noticed, oh, Bill is good today. Bill's on form. He's putting a few runs in. Sophie has led us like a professional. But who's got the glory? But God. But God. Yes, we acknowledge and we appreciate those people who lead us into the place of worship. But you see, that's their job done. They lead us into a place of worship. They are not the people we worship. 
It is God who is the one uh, that we worship. And it's our identifying with Him. It's our giving Him of our honour and our praise. Why? Well, because He deserves it. When I listen to the prayers, I listen to people worshipping the Lord, praising Him, thanking Him for all what we have before us, for His sacrifice upon the cross. One said, for the humiliation of Him becoming flesh. We identify with God. He deserves it because He's made a way for us. He's opened up the gates of heaven and has beckoned us in. How do people know who we belong to? How do they know who we are serving? How do, we, who, how do they know who we identify with? It's our worship. It's our worship. Our whole lives are expressions of worship to the God that loves us and gave himself for us. And it's our worship that keeps us focused on the one true God. Keeps us focused on his will. Keeps us focused on his purposes. Keeps us focused on the job that he has called us to achieve. If only Abraham had built an altar before he left for Egypt. As I was reading that passage, the altar had died, he'd left it. He had travelled to go south. And when he got south, he failed to build an altar. Worship wasn't a part of his experience. And when the, the, the heavens stopped raining, and when the food stopped growing, if he had built an altar, he would have saved. But he didn't. He went down to Egypt. He made that foolish mistake. And all that anguish that he went through. Why? Because he stopped worshipping the Lord. You know, right thank God that God isn't put out uh, or sort of goes off and a half because we don't worship Him. Because here comes Abraham back to the place of worship. And who's there listening to His call? It's the Lord again. You know, and in every circumstance, whether good or bad, and there are good times when we really enjoy ourselves, there are bad times when we wonder where God is. We always need an altar in our lives a place of worship a time of worship an acknowledgement of who the Lord is and that will put everything into perspective for us now here's the test you know as we read verses 5 to 13 we see this little barney between Lot and Abraham do you know we've all got rights well, that's what I'm told today we've all got rights We've got workers' rights, we've got human rights, we've got gay rights. You know, we've seen an awful lot of gay rights yesterday rising to the fore. But everybody's, in some way, has got rights. As I said, the Society of Ireland voted to have their rights extended yesterday. You know, no matter what God thinks, or what God says, or what God desires, We've got our rights. And that's where we are standing. And none of us are going to ever um, be pushed away from our rights. We're going to dig our heels in and claim our rights. Abraham had rights. He had amazing rights. And when we look at this story, it's, it was an act of kindness that Lot was with him in the first place. It was a disobedience, really, that Abraham took Lot with him. 
Because God had told him to go away from your family to a place where I will show you. But he took his father, if you remember, and after waiting um, Haran for a couple of years, then he took Lot, and this is the result. Strife. There's this brick wall that Abraham found himself in. Why? Because of his kindness to Lot. You know, it was because of Abraham that he had become rich beyond all his dreams. He was the recipient of Pharaoh's lavish uh, giving of things um, like gold and silver and maidservants and camels and all the rest of it. You know, he must have gone down with nothing but came back with all this wealth. All this wealth. You know what? It was this sudden burst of wealth that actually came between them. As David says, if wealth increases, don't set your heart on them. But it was beginning to be like that in the situation that we are looking at. And it became a barrier between the, these two brothers, or the uncle and nephew, a barrier between the work that the Lord had called Abraham to do. No wonder, um, when you think about it, all this land was Abraham's. Why? Because God had given it to him. He said, I've given you all this. You know, so if Abraham sort of stood up and said, this is my right, clear off. Clear off. Get your hoods and your tents and everything else and I don't want to see you again in my borders. I've got rights. You're the two men claiming rights. When we look at Abraham, all this land was his. And this is what he said to Lot. You choose. Do you know when Pauline brings ice cream into this? She makes one bigger than the other. And she makes me choose which one to have. I said, you choose, you just give it another child in the sea. Another child, you give me which one you think. And she said, no, you choose. And like a child, I choose the biggest. But you can imagine Abraham. As they were looking at the Jordan, seeing all this greenery, this wealth, this watered garden. He said it was like Eden. And he says, you choose. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. You choose. <coughs> it was Abraham's land. It was his mission. Surely it would be his choice. Surely this is his right. At least he's going to argue the pace. But no, he says, you choose. You know, I've talked a lot over these last few years about God vindicating us. God sticking up for us, in other words. You know, we saw it in Joseph. He was accused of all sorts, even rape. And do you know, he never opened his mouth. Never sort of blasted out, I'm innocent. Well, he did once, but uh, that was uh, after 13 years. And it was God who vindicated him. God who justified him. And we know that Jesus, you know, it was a, um, a travesty of justice on one level that these men took Jesus and nailed him to a cross. You know, and Pilate was astounded that Jesus didn't protest his innocence. He said, Are you hearing what these people are saying? Are you hearing these accusations? Do you know what this means? And Jesus stood still. Didn't justify himself, didn't protest his innocence, because he could have. 
could even have called 12 legions of angels to rescue him but no who did the justifying it was God rose him from the dead and says you crucified the Lord of glory the perfect Lamb of God and because of that I'm going to rise him from the dead he done no violence or was there any deceit in his heart no like a sheep before his shearers he is done he spoke not a word and raised him from the dead the plain of Jordan this well watered garden of the Lord that should be you as Abraham as you were right get your flocks up there get your tents up there enjoy the, the abundance of the land that God has given do you know you'll be a fool if you give up your right people will think you're stupid because you haven't taken what's rightfully yours you're a fool but Abraham said no you choose you choose I wonder if there are any fools here this morning people who are willing to leave the choice up to God you know one of the sermons that I, I prepared for the study on Joseph was you know I used to put titles on him you know all sort of big posh when I was uh, younger and the title I put on one of my sermons was I leave the colour up to you I can't remember what the sermon was about at the, as, as we span and start now but I leave the colour up to you I wonder how many of us have decided that we're going to leave the colour up to God but he chooses that whatever he says whatever he sends whatever he asks I wonder if we are fools foolish enough not to state our rights but to say to God you choose you choose I wonder why many of us think what if he sends me to darkest Africa you know many years ago I, I, used, I had a bit of a phobia of black parts and I always thought that if I said Lord you choose he's going to send me to a place that's infested with black I don't know who I thought God was some horrible person what if he sends me to such and such a place where there's black parts all over the place I wonder how many of us are fools for God could we do that could we say you choose you choose do we trust him enough to say such a thing is our relationship deep enough is our faith strong enough is God trustworthy enough in our lives you know that it, uh, the Bible tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God and if you go to Hebrews chapter 11 you will notice that that phrase is associated with Enoch it says that Enoch pleased the Lord and God took him and then it says without faith it is impossible to please the Lord but you know that's not just Enoch that's an abiding principle with God that's the overriding principle of our life your life, my life and yes even Abraham's life and straight after he said you choose immediately Lot had gone the next verse says and the Lord said and the Lord said you know we haven't had that little phrase for a long time yes way back in chapter 12 at the beginning but we've been down to Egypt for a couple of years we've gone down south we've come back we've had wealth we've had all this but we haven't had and the Lord said until 
Abram said, you choose. You choose. Abram said, after Lot had separated from him. And the Lord has been conspicuous by its absence. But now, Lot had gone. And for the first time in this story, Abram was where God wanted him. Remember the, the, the first call? Get out from your country. Well, he's gone from his country. Get from your family. And at this point, when Lot had gone, Abraham was God's. Yadin. Yadin exactly where he wanted. His father was gone, and now Lot was gone. So what was God going to do? He was going to continue with his plans. He couldn't continue with his plans until these two people had actually left. The hindrances of all the old ties had gone. The hindrances of self-preservation had gone. The hindrances of wealth, the hindrances of rights, the hindrances of choices had all gone. And now Abraham was completely God's prized possession. And now the blessings were about to flow. The land has now been promised. Wherever you look down, up, across, all that way, it's yours. It's yours. I've given it to you. And of course, the promise of offspring is around the corner. Through whom he's going to bless the whole world. I can use you now. You are mine now, says the Lord. You know, we could compare that, of course, with the parable of the soils. There was one that completely oblivious to the word one that grew up quick and there were weeds the cares of the world the cares of riches you know the, the things that come in our way to block us and obstruct us there was the stony ground where there was no root in people and then the Bible says there's the good ground I can, we can use the good ground we can feed from the good ground and here is Abraham all the obstacles are gone now I could use you. With us it's the snare of the, of the devil. The evil of riches. The, the entrapment of the world. All these things are sent to try to throw us off course. You know, we could look at the rich young ruler. And it, with him it was the snare of riches. God wants us. And he wants us to fully trust him. He wants us to see everything through the filter of our relationship with Him and our dependence upon Him and His will for us. You know, there are so many other lessons that Abraham has to learn. I'm looking forward to learning a few uh, with him as we go along. But few more important than this one. God has got to be at the centre because everything else sort of stems from that. You know, and I can say He's going to fail. He's going to mess up. But at this moment, he's beginning to fly. And i got to be honest, I want to fly with him through these uh, lovely stories that we have in the scripture. But what a challenge to us. Is he the one who chooses the colour? Or have you still got your rights? For his name's sake.